Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. What's up, Abundant Life? If you have a copy of God's Word, I want you to find the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 16 is where we're going to be at this morning. The book of Numbers, that's where your year in the Bible plans kind of stalled out probably. And uh, some of you are already thinking, is this the matrix? What are we doing in the book of Numbers? The book of Numbers is this book in the Bible that really captures some of the history and the leadership lessons from the life of, the life of Moses and God's people. It's an incredible book. If you've never read it, it is chock full of all kinds of drama, all kinds of different things that are happening with God's people. It's amazing. And so we're going to dive into Numbers chapter 16. Before we get there, um, we are in this series called Impossible 2, and what we're doing is we're, we're highlighting some of the initiatives that God has called us as a church to really tackle, and what we see is this consistent theme throughout the Bible that whatever is impossible with man is possible with God, that God doesn't look at our vision and our ambition and kind of go, oh my goodness, I don't know if we have enough resources. Holy Spirit, Jesus, let's get together. How are we going to figure this thing out? That's not how God works. God is like, please, it's about time you begin to expect me to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever think or imagine. And we've been talking about these things and God is on the move, man. There are some things that have been unexplainable yet undeniable as, we've, as, as we have accomplished impossible things for the kingdom of God. And you guys, we are moving as a unit, as a church from every campus, every location across the nation. It's been amazing to see what the Lord is doing. And what we've been doing is we've been allowing this series really to, to point us to an event that we're hoping will be a catalyst in the life of our church. And the event is, I think you've already heard about the Leadership Summit. So I just want to clarify, this is for anybody that is a leader or anybody that wants to be a leader, which means that's everybody, all right? And so we would love for you to be a part of this, and we're praying again that this will be something that'll launch us into 2022 with this, uh, this focus that Jesus is worthy of our life and that he is worthy of our leadership as well. And we're praying that God would use this because y'all know this, that an organization, it rises and falls on the leadership and we wanna have a, a, a church that goes into the world and puts the, the love of God on display in a leadership way, right? And so we wanna be a church that is, that is chock full with people that have godly leadership characteristics. And so we pray that that event will take place. Well, before we get into number 16, I just wanna share with y'all a story that happened a couple of years ago. On December 10th, 2018, I get a phone call early in the morning from some of my friends back in Louisiana. I had moved here, I'm originally from Texas, but moved here from Bossier City, Louisiana. So one of my buddies, his name Bobby calls me and says, hey, do you know what's going on? I said, what are, you, what are you talking about? He said, man, the church is on fire. And I was like, what? And he's like, turn on the news. And so I get on social media and I start looking. I see a, a picture of the church I used to work at. I'm like, uh-oh, that's not good. And then I see another picture. And the, and the flames have gotten worse. And then by the time they got all the flames out, I see this final picture of like destruction. And I'm talking to my guy, Bobby, and I'm like, hey, man, is anybody around? And he's like, no, what's up? And I said, uh, Hey, have they figured out where that fire started? Because see, I had done a lot of electrical work on the church. And, um, <laughs> and, and I worked in the student center and this was the student center, all right? And so you can see it's still intact. <laughs> and I just wanted to make sure that, I was like, Bobby, where did the fire start? Because you know, bro, we did a lot of electrical work on our own. We did a lot of DIY, you know? And, um, and so praise God, that wasn't on me. Um, but seriously, when they started figuring out where the fire started in this church and what created all of this destruction, they, they come to find out that the fire, it didn't start from the outside. It started from the inside. 
that there was something that was left unchecked in the house of God that then caught fire and then created all of this destruction and the house of God caught fire and was destroyed. Now start there this morning because usually the greatest destruction in the church is not something from the outside. It's typically something from the inside. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the church in America, it's on fire, y'all. There are some things that are taking place in the church, in the West, that are causing us to lose ground, not gain ground. And as you look at, okay, what's the problem in the church? What are some of the things that we need to do? Because if the fire isn't coming from the outside, but there's some things happening on the inside, what, what is the source of this? What's the spark? And typically, the greatest fire in your life, in my life, and in the house of God's life, typically the source is pride. That you and I, we've all come in here this morning, and we have a problem called pride. And pride plays itself out in, in many ways. It can play itself out in gossip. It can play itself out in self-loathing. It, it can play itself out in self-exalting. It can play itself out in all sorts of different ways. Me, my way, and I've got to have it this way, and I don't like that, and all this criticism and that sort of thing. But one of the main ways that pride plays itself out, and what we're going to talk about this morning, is in the form of rebellion. And typically, rebellion, it starts as an attitude. I don't like that. I don't like them. And then it it progresses into, I'm not gonna follow that leadership. And then it progresses into a revolt. And when the people of God are rebelling against the leadership of God, the church of God burns. And so we've been talking about this, these leadership lessons in this series, Impossible too. and the leadership lesson I wanna talk about this morning is this. Leadership principle number four is that good leaders are good followers. Good leaders are good followers, and we're gonna see from God's word that bad followers are not good leaders. That bad leadership, it ends in destruction. And before we leave this morning, I want to call you to follow good leadership. Now, if you're new to the Bible, Moses, he's like one of the MVPs of the Bible. And God called Moses to, leave, to, to lead his people from the tyranny of the Egyptian slavery to a place called the promised land, a place of serenity. Now, the way that Moses leads the people is more like a plate of spaghetti than an A to a B, all right? And what you see is that they bust out of slavery and then they get into this wilderness and then they're just all over the map, all right? Like me, like me at Home Depot, just everywhere, you know, like doesn't make sense. I'm just in every aisle, like I should do this, you know, and they're just wandering around where they should have just got from here to here. It takes them quite some time and in the midst of all of this wondering, we see all sorts of things taking place in the people of God. They're complaining, they're, they have lack of faith and, and what happens is that they, were, they remain in the desert when they should have been in the promise of God. Now, if they're remaining in the desert, you would think that they would kind of you know, huddle up and they would say, okay, we're the people of God. And, and I know that we're not, gonna have to, we're not gonna get into the promised land just yet, but let us kind of get together, let's cultivate leadership, and let's prepare the next generation to walk in something that we're not able to walk in. But that's not what happens in the house of God. They're not building up one another, but the house of God, it catches fire when this man named Korah, he convinces two others to lead 250 leaders that ultimately affects 15,000 people to revolt against the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Aaron is kind of like the vice president, but he's godly. And, and, and Moses, he's kind of like the president, but he's godly. They're like the president and vice president of these people. And they revolt against them. And what happens, just to kind of summarize Numbers chapter 16, is that Korah and his company, they go to Moses and they say, we don't like the way you're leading. In fact, we think that we should be the leader. 
And Moses says, well, let's just kind of put this in God's hands. And, and they, they do this sort of test thing, and then what comes to find out is that Korah and company, they were actually rebelling against the system and structure that God had put into place, and it doesn't end well for them. This story's wild. If you've never read Numbers 16, you should read the details on your own. But eventually what happens is that the earth splits open, swallows Korah and these other two and their families, and takes them down to what the Bible calls the pit. And then the next day, thousands of people start hurling complaints against Moses and Aaron saying, this is all your fault, and a plague breaks out on them. And by the end of number 16, because of this rebellion, 15,000 people had died. And that's the story we're gonna talk about this morning. And so if you have your Bible, Numbers chapter 16, starting in verse two, here's what it says. It says, and they rose up before Moses. Now in verse one, you see it's Korah, and then, and then a lot of uh, people, like it's, it's kind of strange bedfellows. Like they, these, these folks normally wouldn't unite, but they're united around this revolt. It says they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, and it tells us 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. So, so these aren't just like nobodies, all right? These are influential people. These would be people that you would've been following on Instagram. These would've been people when they said, you gotta get this shoe, you went and bought, you went and bought that shoe. These are people who said, you gotta listen to this, this Spotify playlist. These would've, these would've been the people that you would've been listening to and say, okay, I'm gonna subscribe to that Spotify playlist. These were influential people. They had clout with the community. It says that they gathered together against Moses and Aaron, and they said to them, you take too much upon yourself. For all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Now why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? That's the issue. They're saying, why, why do you think that you're better than everybody else? Point number one, if you're taking notes this morning, you could write this down. Bad followers are not good leaders. Bad followers are not good leaders. Uh, Korah and his company, they, they were influential people, but they weren't leaders. I know the Bible describes them as leaders, but leaders, they lead people to do the right thing. These were just influencers. And influencers, not, not all the time, influencers will lead you to do the right thing. And these people, they were influential people. Obviously, they had united 250 other people that had a, a reputation, and ultimately, they led 15,000 people to destruction. And Korah, he had good influence, or he was a man of influence, but he was a bad leader because he wasn't a good follower. And again, good leaders are good followers. But what was the reason for Korah's rebellion? You know, as you read in Numbers 16, you kind of pick up on a few different offenses that he has against Moses. And typically, the reason why you would revolt against any structure in your life or any authority in your life usually isn't just one thing. Typically, it's kind of a gumbo of things, right? And so what we see in number 16 is there's a few different things that we can observe that led to Korah's rebellion. Well, first of all, that he was jealous. He was jealous. He goes to Moses and Aaron and he says, he said, why are you exalting yourself? Why are you in charge is what he's saying. Moses, <laughs> he was like the least self-exalting person ever, all right? Like you see early on when Moses is being called by God, he comes across as like Porky the pig. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I'm, I'm the right, I'm the right, I'm the right, I'm the right person, right? Some of y'all don't know who Looney Tunes are. You need to be educated, all right? <laughs> and Moses, he had a stutter, and he, he's trying to convince God that he's not the right God to lead. And God says, no, I'm going to use you. Because here's what I know to be true, that sometimes God will use the least likely people just so he can flex a little bit. That's my story. And so God uses Moses, 
And Moses is like, I never wanted to be the leader. But God uses him and God anointed him. And then, and then the Bible would go on in Numbers 12, verse 3, it would say this about Moses, that he was the meekest person ever. Some translations say he was the most humble man ever. And he's being accused of exalting himself. These folks, they were jealous of Moses. And what they say is they're like, you know, we're all holy. We all have access to God. What makes you special? And they were confusing equality with sameness. And they were thinking, well, we're all equal. We all stand on the same ground, which is very true. And they thought because of that equality, they should have the same position of authority as everybody. And that's just not true. God had positioned Moses in this place, and they were jealous. Well, they were also ungrateful. Moses' response is, to them is like, guys, like y'all, y'all serve in the tabernacle. Like, you, you want to be people of influence and have spiritual authority in people's life. Y'all have that. But they weren't grateful for the position that they were given, and it wasn't enough, so they revolted. They were also stubborn. Moses, he, he, he goes to them and he says, hey, why don't we talk this thing out? This, it doesn't have to end twisted. Like, let's just come up and let's, let's reconcile. But, but these folks, they were hard to reason with. They were hard to agree with. And they refused even to have a conversation of reconciliation. They were also playing the victim. They began to blame Moses. And they said, the reason why, the, the reason why we're not in the promised land, it's your fault, Moses. And they begin, to, they begin to play the victim as if they weren't the ones that actually believed the 10 spies that didn't have faith that they could get into the promised land. See last week's message. And they were putting all of that on Moses when Moses was simply responding to the lack of faith earlier on. And, and lastly, they just, they didn't trust Moses. There's a phrase in verse 14 where it says, why would we go talk with you so that you can put our eyes out too? Like we don't trust you, Moses. And so there's this cocktail of all kinds of things that have led them to revolt. They were jealous, they were ungrateful, they were stubborn, they were delusional, or they were playing the victim and they weren't trusting. And so all of this came together to start a fire of rebellion in the house of God. Now, I don't know if you ever read the Bible and you're like, whew, man, I'm glad that was then and, and we're here today. Like, I'm glad Moses had to put up with those issues and I'm glad that we've evolved in our hearts, you know, and I'm glad that, that we would never struggle with a lack of gratitude. I'm glad we would never struggle with jealousy. I'm glad we would never struggle with playing the victim and shift blaming and saying, well, it's your fault while we're here. I'm glad we would never struggle with any. I'm glad we would never, I'm glad we have come in here and none of us have ever struggled with pride or rebellion. I'm being what my uncle calls fabicious. <laughs> Times have changed, but hearts have not. Things have changed, but, but one thing that has yet to evolve is the heart of man. And the issue that they were facing is in fact the issue that we face. So a question this morning, are you a good follower? Are you a good follower? I struggle with this, like just be honest, I'm, a, I'm an American and I'm from Texas, all right? That's like double don't tell me what to do, all right? And, um, and I struggle, like, and, I, and here's what I would say is, is I, I'm not a rebel, but just don't tell me what to do. You know what I'm saying? But that's basically the same. Think about this. Are you a, are you a good follower? Are you hard to agree with? When it comes to lunch plans, is it always your plan? Don't elbow her right now. I know what you're thinking, right? 
are you always, in your mind, the smartest person in the room? Are you a good follower? Some of you will say, well, my mama told me I was, I was a born leader. I'm a born leader. I was a born leader. I don't know if you were a born leader, but I know that you are a born rebel. And the reason why I know that you were a born rebel is because the word of God says this in Proverbs 14, 12, that there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. That we all have a perceived way that seems right, even when like there's, there's somebody trying to lead us in a right way, we're like, no, that can't be right. I'm gonna go this way. But in the end, it leads to death. Like think about this, what would cause you to revolt against your marriage? What would cause you to revolt against your boss? What would cause you to revolt against your parents? What would cause you to revolt against your church leaders? What would cause you to revolt in your relationship with God? Usually it's not one thing. Typically it's jealousy, it's ungratefulness, it's stubborn, it's playing the victim, it's a lack of trust that creates this bonfire of destruction and revolting in our relationships that typically the fires that you and I endure in our life have one thing in common, it's you. And the word of God is gonna say this, it says in James 4.1, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Most of the fires in the house of God stem from pride in the people of God. Are you a rebel? Or to put it another way, are you a good follower? And if we're gonna be leaders, good leaders are good followers. Now I've already told you what happens. I've already spoiled the story that what happens at the end is that, is that their decision to revolt, it leads them to a destination of destruction. And that rebellion always leads to ruin. Pastor Phil said last week that decisions equal destinies. And you and I have to make a decision this morning. Are we gonna submit to godly leadership and are we gonna follow or are we gonna rebel and revolt because of a sundry of things? And what happens in Numbers chapter 16, verse 31, it says this. Now it came to pass, as he, being Moses, finished speaking all these words. Again, Moses has warned them that this doesn't have to happen, but they didn't listen. They were stubborn in their rebellion. And it says that the ground split apart underneath them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah, with all of their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. Crazy story. Point number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. Bad leadership ends in destruction. Bad leadership ends in destruction. Again, what you see is that Korah and these guys, they had convinced these 250 leaders, and then, and then the earth swallows up Korah and his company, his, his family, his goods. Every, there, was, there was generational effects because of this man's rebellion. Some of y'all are still suffering because of what your grandfather did. And we see this principle play out. And then ultimately, this rebellion, it becomes infectious. And I've already told you that, that 15,000 people, by the end of the story, they were infected by this rebellion that led to their destruction. And when you read this, you're like, wow, that's aggressive, right? It seems like God just went savage on them, you know? 
Like why, like that just seems like could, could we not have like, you know, like come to the table and work this thing out, litigated a little bit more, earth swallowed them whole? Like what, I mean, and the donkeys too, like what are we doing here, you know? Like I don't know if you ever read stories like this and you're like, whoo, that is spicy, you know? And you just think, I just don't know, like if, and like why would, God, why would you do that? And the reason why God would create such a destruction is because he's trying to communicate some instruction for you and I today. That See, the issue with Korah and company was not against Moses and Aaron, ultimately. The issue was ultimately against God. Verse 11 says, this rebellion wasn't against Moses, it was against God. Verse 30 says this, all of this is gonna happen and then you'll understand that these men have rejected not Moses and Aaron, but the Lord that this is a warning call. If you reject God, it will not end well for you. That God says over and over and over in the Bible, I could have plucked a number of verses, a phrase like this, God opposes the proud. If you've come in here and in your heart of hearts, you're like this towards God and his instruction and his authority, look out. The Bible says he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So you need to ask yourself this morning, are you rebellious? Are you rebellious? Now, I don't think that, you know, you're like, I'm in church, what do you mean am I rebellious? I would, like, why would I come to church, but yet be rebellious? I don't know that we would ever just put ourselves in that category. Like, you, you're not going to, you know, to, to your group or going to Regen and saying, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm recovering from rebellion. I don't, that's not really something that we say a lot in our culture. And so let me ask it this way, and so that you can kind of start going through your mind and diagnose some things. When you read the Bible, do you see it as a suggestion? Or to think of it this way, when you and the Bible disagree about sex, who wins? When you and the Bible disagree about money, who wins? When you and the Bible disagree about submission to your parents, who wins? When godly leadership, note I said godly, when godly leadership ask you to do something, do you gladly submit? And I would contend that if you are not submitting to the Bible, if you're not gladly submitting to godly leadership in your life, then maybe, just maybe, you're rebelling against God. And anyone who rebels against God, this is not popular, you will be judged and condemned to hell. That when the Bible says they were swallowed up into the pit, this is a warning. If you reject godly leadership, if you reject the word of God, if you reject God ultimately, then judgment will swallow you up and you will go to hell. You may not believe in all of this. You may, you may be watching right now or you may be listening right now and you may be thinking, you know, I don't, I'm not real sure if I believe in all of this, but I think deep down inside there's a conscience that is innate to the human experience. And I think deep down inside we all know that we're going to give an account for our life in some form or fashion. And you will give an account for the way that you lived. And if you don't have Jesus in your life, all you have is your good works to save you. And you can't be good enough to save you from the judgment of God. But can I tell you I got good news? 
The good news is you don't have to be swallowed up by God's judgment. You can be swallowed up by his mercy. You don't have to go down to the pit. You can go to heaven in Christ. That the Bible tells us this. You may not agree that you're a rebel or not based upon your diagnostic, but here's what the Bible says. You were born a rebel, and me too. That we were born in our sins, separated from God. And if we die in our rebellion, trying to trust in our own righteousness, judgment will swallow us up every time. But the Bible says that even though we were born rebels against God, even while we were yet enemies of God, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. The righteous, peerless, blameless one came on a rescue mission to be swallowed up by the judgment of God so that we who are a rebel race could be saved by the love of God. But you have to receive that. And the good news is this, that in the end, all that you've done with the cross of Christ will be what is left. That fire that broke out in the church, they captured this photo in the, in the children's center. And this photo had much flames and smoke in this room, but you see, this is cool, man. The cross was left. And this is a picture of what is gonna last forever. In 100 years, it won't matter where you lived. In 100 years, it won't matter how much money you made. It won't matter how many dates you went on. It won't matter how good of a retirement you had. In 100 years, all that will matter is what you did with the cross. It'll all get burned up in the end. Are you a rebel? And what are you trusting as your only hope for salvation? If you follow any other way, it will end in destruction. Good leaders are good followers. I don't know about you, but when I, when I read this story about Korah's rebellion, it's, it's, it kind of rattles me a little bit because I don't want to be Korah and I don't want to be his company. And so what will happen oftentimes in my position in my line of work is that people, and they're all you know, good intentions, but they'll say things like, hey, Chad, when are you going to become a real pastor? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean a real pastor? I thought I was a real pastor. What are you talking about, you know? And what they mean is like, when are you going to be the guy? Like, when are you going to be the lead guy? And I just, I typically just respond like, why would I want to be the lead guy when I got a good lead guy? That God has positioned me in a place and he's given me a covering of protection in Pastor Phil and in my authority in my life. And I, I want to be the best follower that I can be. I want to be, I want to lead as many people to follow as best as we can follow godly leadership. And I want to be, I don't want to be somebody that revolts. And it's been such a blessing to be underneath godly leadership at Abundant Life. This has been my favorite place to be. If I didn't work at this church, I'd still go to this church. <laughs> you know, I love it here. And one of the things that's been such a blessing is that Pastor Phil has allowed me to sit underneath his authority. And, and he's got this, this kind of, I, I don't know exactly if it was thought out or spirit-led, I'm not real sure, but, he, but he's done this thing where he's he stayed in a place of authority and protection but he hasn't smothered and he hasn't stymied leadership. And so he, he's been faithful to give leadership away. The fact that I'm preaching to you still boggles my mind. You know, I'm like, Phil's such a great preacher. Why am I up here, you know? And I just, I love that Pastor Phil, he, he's really living this thing out. What he, what he shares with young leaders is he'll say to young leaders, hey, don't take what's not yours to get. And then he'll say to older leaders, don't keep what's not yours to keep. But there's gotta be this passing of a baton and there's got to be this overlap of godly leadership that's united where everyone has a leader and everyone is a follower. And humility wins in the end of the day. And so, like, like I've been given some incredible opportunities. So I'll tell people all the time, I'm like, why do I want to go lead my own thing when I've been given so many opportunities here? Like, I don't know if y'all know this, but we're launching a new campus in the Crossroads. And your boy's getting to lead it. So if you want to go with me, um, 
We can just scan this QR code and um, <laughs> seriously, if you do want to be a part of it, I'm going to go ahead and take advantage of this opportunity. <laughs> but, but here's what we say. We are launching campuses. And when I talk with Dustin Rosner at Blue Springs, and I, when I talk with Kyle Worsham, our online campus pastor, when I talk with Stephen Branch, our, our Independence campus pastor, they all feel the same way underneath godly leadership here. And it's amazing just to see what God's doing in that. And, and so here's what we say. We want to launch campuses. We don't want to plant them. Because launching insinuates that you're standing on the shoulders of others and that you're going with momentum and you're not having to start at ground zero. And so when people ask, like, you know, why don't you want to plant a campus? I'm like, plant a campus? You ever planted anything? It takes a long time to get that thing going. Like, I could go, I could go be Lone Ranger. I could go be Lone Wolf. I would go be the Mandalorian minister just out there just getting it, you know. But if I did that, that would be a huge setback. But because I'm in a, a church called Abundant Life that's got godly leadership at the helm, I'm able to run with momentum into these new endeavors. And the one thing that could compromise it all is pride. And God forbid a Korah and company to rise up in our house. And let us be marked with humility. See, if we fail to have this attitude, we'll succeed in setting the church on fire. But I don't know about you, I want to be a part of a church that burns with passion for God, not with problems. I want to be a part of a church that sizzles with godly submission, not smokes with selfishness. I want to be a part of a church that is swallowed up by the love of God, not the judgment of God. And if we're going to be a part of this type of church, we're going to have to be good leaders, and good leaders are good followers. The book of Hebrews picks up on this ideology and it looks back at the history of the Hebrew people and, and it gives an admonition or, or a warning to the church in Hebrews 13. And here's what it says. It calls the church to obey or you could think follow those who rule over you and to be submissive as the follower. Our gift to leadership is, is submission. It says this, it says that you should follow those that rule over you or obey them because they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. It says, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that wouldn't be profitable for you. Here's what I know to be true, that one day I'll stand before God and I will give an account for how I led the people that he entrusted to me. And I'll have to give an account for how I rightly divided this thing and how I helped people look more like God. And I'll also stand before God and I'll have to give an account for how I followed and submitted to godly leadership in my life as well. That all of us will stand before God and will give an account for how we led those that God entrusted us and how we followed those that God gave us to follow. And Pastor Phil does this, I know that I do this, that, that we really take the shepherding of the people at Abundant Life personal because we know that we're gonna give an account for your soul and so the, the leadership here and the pastoral staff and those that God has raised up and the laity, all of the leadership here, we long to help them understand that you need to keep a, pay careful attention to yourself, as the book of Acts says, and to the flock of God and to the people of God as ones who will give an account. And so if we can have this culture of godly leadership, we long to see and perpetuate godly fellowship as well.
So point number three, and finally, I want to encourage you to follow good leadership. Follow good leadership. Notice I didn't say follow perfect leadership. It doesn't exist. Jesus is the perfect leader. We follow him ultimately. But you and I, we're not perfect. Moses, he was a good leader, but he wasn't a perfect man by any means. And you see his good leadership on display in number 16. Like when they come to him and they revolt, if I was Moses, I'd be like, man, get out of here. Get them, you know, like sick them. Get the dogs on them or something, you know. But Moses, he, he humbles himself. He falls on his face. And he begins to plead with God before the people. And then you, you see him take, finally take a stand, but he never even stands up for himself. He basically just says, why are y'all hating on Aaron? What has Aaron done to y'all? Aaron was Moses' brother. You would take up for your brother too, all right? And then Moses gets angry in number 16, but he doesn't get angry in front of the people. He takes his anger to God. And he basically says, why have you given these people to me? You know, mom, dad, y'all prayed that prayer before, right? And, um, <laughs> and so he, he takes his anger. We take our anger as leaders to God and we don't disp- displace it upon our people. And then Moses, later on, he falls on his face again. And he even prays to God, he says, God, please don't cause destruction upon all of these people for the sins of just a few or just one. Moses, he's a good leader, not a perfect man, but he's a godly man. And when godly men and women are in places of leadership, we should gladly submit to their leadership. I want you to think of it like this. I want you to imagine that this umbrella represents godly leadership. And what I'm calling you to this morning is to follow godly leadership. That God has put authority in place not to oppress you, but to protect you. And so think about it, the the different areas of leadership that he's put in our life. He's put government in our life. He's put a family in our life. He's put, uh, he's put uh, law enforcement in our life. He's put uh, jobs and bosses in our life. He's put church leaders in our life. He's put many, many layers of authority in our life. And when that authority is godly, we should gladly submit to it. Now, I know sometimes it's hard because that authority be smothering you. You got a helicopter mom. You're here and you're a teenager and she's like always looking at your data and always looking the way you do your thing, you know, and it's just kind of, you just feel smothered and that sort of thing. I know it's hard to submit at times and not all leadership's perfect. Give your mom and dad some grace, teenagers, but they're there to protect you. And and some of you, maybe you had a dad like mine and he was kind of there. And you're like, why do I need to submit to this guy? He's not even doing his job. And I know it can be difficult at times. But to the best of your ability, trusting that God will honor your fellowship of good leadership. And the goal is that we would have godly leadership in our life. And when there's godly leaders in place, the world flourishes when we submit to them. Now, a, a lot of you, you're, you're living like this. And... Um, and I don't know, if, like if it was raining outside and you saw me walking in church like, hey, how y'all doing? You'd be like, that man has lost his mind, right? Now, it's one thing if I don't have the opportunity to submit to godly leadership and I may get drenched by the problems of the world. But if I have the opportunity, why, why, wouldn't, I, why wouldn't I submit to it? And many of you, you're, you're in the mentality that I've been in in my life at times where all I need is Jesus, just me and Jesus. I don't need the church. I don't, I don't, I don't, only God will judge me. I don't, I don't, I don't submit to any man. And when I lived that way, I didn't flourish. And I got pelted with problems and drenched with dysfunction. 
And I learned that when I submitted my life to godly leadership, there was protection and not oppression. Now, I know some of you have come in here this morning, and when I start talking about submit and follow, the authority in your life, it has oppressed you. You got daddy wounds. Your mama went to church on Sunday, but she never lived out anything that she heard. The police, they were mean to you. The government, it did you wrong. Your parents, they oppressed you. Your husband, he abused you. Your wife, she was demeaning to you. Your boss, he was cruel, she was cruel. And it's hard to submit. And I will, I will challenge you that we gladly submit to godly leadership and then we take our submission to God when it's contrary, when our leadership is contrary to God's word and God's way, I would caution you on who you submit to. Because not everyone that is in a place of authority is a good leader. But don't let that experience be an excuse for why you won't gladly submit to godly leadership. Because leadership is a gift from God to put inside of our life so that we can flourish. So, if we have godly leadership in place, what does it look like for us to submit? Some of you, you know Christ and, and you're living like this. You're trying to just, you and Jesus, y'all are just doing it on your own. You're watching this from wherever you're at. You and Jesus doing it on your own. And I'm telling you, get involved. Like, don't, don't be a maverick, rogue Christian. If we have great things in place and great next steps for you to take, get involved in community. Get involved in discipleship. Get involved in serving. Get involved in church membership. Whatever it may be, take your next step and submit your life underneath godly leadership. And then lastly, some of you are here this morning and, and if this represents the lordship of Christ and his authority in your life, you're living like this. And you've come in here and, and you see the Bible as a suggestion. You don't know if you're really all in with Jesus and you think that you can be a good leader and you think you can be God's man or God's woman and I would just invite you to submit your life to the Lordship of Christ, that Jesus ultimately, he is our good leader. He laid down his life for us. He is the one that made a way where there was no way by becoming the way. But a lot of people, they have thought that they can have the love of God without the leadership of God. They thought that they could have the life of Jesus without the Lordship of Jesus. But when you read the Bible, Jesus is always confessed as Savior and Lord. And if you want to be saved, the Bible makes it really clear in Romans 10, 9, that you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says you'll be saved. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? And are you following the leadership, the godly leadership in your life? Pastor Phil and I, we had a kind of a friendly debate on what is the number one characteristic of a leader? If we could bullet down to one thing, what's the one thing that, that we all need to be a great leader? And if you want to know what the answer to that was, you can write this down. The number one character quality of leadership is humility. And humility says, God, I will gladly submit to your leadership, and I'll gladly submit to the leadership that you've placed in my life. It's not easy, but God, would you help clothe me in humility? I want to invite everybody just to bow your head and close your eyes. I want to ask you a couple of questions that I've already asked you this morning as we get ready to dismiss.
I just want to give us a time of reflection. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Then I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to prompt you to respond in a couple of different ways. The first question is this. Are you a good follower? Are you a good follower? Question number two, are you a rebel? I would contend that if you're not a good follower, then you are a rebel. Question number three, if you were to die today, stand before God, what would you be swallowed up with? Acceptance, love, grace, mercy, or judgment and condemnation? If you know Jesus, how are you a part of his church? And if you don't know Jesus, what are you waiting on? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for this word. God, I just, I publicly confess my pride. I, I pray that you would give me repentance. All of the rebellion in my heart that still has yet to be dealt with, God, that you would cast it out, that I wouldn't see this story as merely a story that happened years ago, but I would see myself in the story. I'm not Moses. I'm not Aaron. I know exactly who I am. But God, I pray that I would reason with you and that I would see my greater Moses Christ compelling me to not give in to my rebelliousness. God, I pray that you would unify our church, that you would continue to help clothe us with humility. God, I pray if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, that today would be the day that they find themselves underneath the umbrella of unity with you, of salvation. And for the man or the woman that's here, this is out there ripping it. They know you, but they're just out there doing their own thing. God, that they would see the value of being a part of a body. They wouldn't be some organ that's just hanging out there, but they would be connected. God, I pray that you would help our church to accomplish impossible things for your glory, for your renown, and it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, hey guys, I wanna invite you just to respond this morning in a few different ways. Uh, first of all, we're gonna have a response team up here here in just a second. We're gonna dismiss out that way. Maybe you need to come down. Maybe when I was talking about like getting under the umbrella, you're like, I don't even know, how do I, how do I begin a relationship with God? And, well, these people are here. They would love to talk with you about that. Secondly, we have a thing called the story room that you can go. There'll be some pastors and some people out there. They'd love to hear your story, just get connected with you. Uh, there was somebody that went out there last week and they're like, is this where I tell my story? And then we were like, yes, you know, and they came and we talked and it was amazing. Last but not least, we have a next steps desk. If you're here want to get your next steps and get connected in any way, need information, go by the next steps desk. You just be faithful to do what God has called you to do. You guys are dismissed. Y'all have an incredible week of worship. We'll see you next week. Go Chiefs. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.